This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell. With offices in Texas and Florida, Bird Campbell are there for all your Dukey law needs. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. Duke fans, it's been a little while, but we are back, back at it to talk about Dukies in the NBA and new kids coming to Duke and all kinds of other interesting stuff going on for your uh, Duke basketball summer needs. It is the Duke Basketball Report podcast. This is episode number 119, 119 of them here. I'm your host this week. My name, as always, is Jason Evans. Thank you so much for joining us, all of you out there in podcast land. And as always, I am joined by my two compadres, my partners in crime, Donald Wine. Donald, where are you recording today? Uh, I'm recording as always, or not always, but most of the time, uh, from my couch here in Washington, D.C. And Jason, I got to tell you, yesterday, I got to tell everyone out there, yesterday I watched five movies from the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. And holy crap, I ended up seeing Infinity War, just like you asked me to. And I have, I have feelings. I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> you have a lot of fe- yes infinity war will engender feelings you saw five movies in one day five more which wait which marvel movies did you see so i'd seen a few up to this point but yesterday i saw guardians of the galaxy 2 uh captain america winter soldier uh, avengers age of ultron and then watched uh captain america civil war and literally finished that while on my phone in line at the concession stand at the movie theater waiting to see infinity war Literally, right up to the last minute, I was deep, knee-deep into the MCU, ready to get ready for Infinity War, and it did not disappoint. Uh, everyone that was talking about it and was trying to hold back spoilers, I hate all y'all, because they took my mans. They took, they took a lot of my mans, and Thanos needs to go. So wait, had you not been spoiled? You didn't know what was going to happen? No, the, the tremendous thing is I, I'd heard bits and pieces about little things. And some of the memes that have gone up on in social media, like obviously I knew that was from the movie, but I had not heard anything about the generic, the specific plot or like, you know, what happens in the end, anything like that, which is, you know, shout out to my friends, every one of you that watched the movie and did not spoil it for me. I appreciate you. Wow. I can't believe you avoided spoilers. It's been out for like four weeks now. I mean, yeah, you know. The, the the snap is is not I, I'm just shocked that you were able to avoid that but let's let's move on this is the Duke basketball report podcast not the Duke movie report podcast so let's move Sam Klein I asked Donald where he is where are you today I am sitting on Donald Wine's couch in his apartment in Washington DC so uh, I'm right here next to him it's it's uh, we've done this a couple times now mm-hmm. so we're pretty good at it and uh, and, it, and it's great to be here I haven't seen I haven't seen a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie in, I don't know, six or seven years. So I, I don't have any of the spoilers because if I had encountered them, it wouldn't even have occurred to me uh, that I was encountering spoilers. I, I recognize many of the characters, but but more than that, I, I, I'm pretty out of the loop on that uh, on that world. So I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about basketball? Yeah, I was just sure. going to say, I think maybe maybe we should transition to, yeah, the, the, the reason that we're here, the reason that people listen in, if there's anyone listening in over the summer, I don't know. Actually, our summer numbers are usually pretty good in terms of people listening. So 
we will move to basketball and and folks we're gonna we're gonna get to uh, uh, some some stuff related to the Duke basketball team next year's team in just a little bit but we're gonna start by focusing on um, the players that we we loved when they were in a Duke uniform and we still love them after they're in a Duke uniform the guys who are either in the NBA or heading to the NBA and we're gonna start with the guys who are in the NBA Dukey's in the NBA right now because there are several interesting storylines involving Duke basketball players. Um, and the uh, and the NBA playoffs, um, and, and specifically what's been going on in recent rounds of the NBA playoffs. And I want to start with the guy who is really making jaws drop, and that is Jason Tatum, who has had one of the the one of the best playoff runs by a rookie that we've seen in many many years. And uh, he he's really been the go to guy for the Boston Celtics. The Celtics, as we record this, by the time you listen to this, the game three of the Celtics Cleveland series will probably have happened. But um, at this moment, um, as we record, the uh, the the Celtics lead Cleveland two nothing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, a, a, a lot of why the Celtics are even in the Eastern Conference Finals is because Jason Tatum um, absolutely dismantled. The Philadelphia 76ers. He was um, almost unquestionably the best player in the in that series against the Sixers. There were some incredible stats about his scoring. Tatum, I, I believe, scored 20 plus points. I want to say it was in seven consecutive playoff games. Might have been eight consecutive playoff games. He was setting and breaking records um, that that go back to to Boston players like Larry Bird. Uh, and anytime you are mentioned in the same sentence with Larry Bird. Uh, Sam, I, I know you're too young probably to remember Larry Bird, but um, he was the uh, he, he was the um, the golfing buddy in Space Jam, right? Uh, yes, yes, that's how you would recall Larry Bird. He was a fairly decent basketball player, also, and Jason Tatum is doing the kind of things we haven't seen by a young Celtic player since Larry Bird, which is truly amazing. Uh, hey, Sam, let me go to you first. Let's just talk about Tatum for a moment. Have you watched some of these games? Give me a little bit of your impressions. Give me some of your surprise at what Tatum's doing, maybe relative to what he did when he was at Duke. Well, just to follow up on your um, discussion of of Tatum doing things that that we haven't seen in a long time, I was reading uh, a few of the articles this morning about his performance so far. And per the Boston Globe, only Kobe Bryant, Tony Parker, and Magic Johnson have logged more postseason points uh, through the age that Tatum's at than, than Tatum has. So, uh, obviously hey, wait, that, give, give me, give me that, give me that list again. That's a great Kobe list. Bryant, Tony Parker and magic Johnson. Now I guess magic Johnson must've, must've come out early or, um, because, because Tatum is still pretty young. He's only 20 years old. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty short list. Obviously it's, it's affected by the fact that until only about 50 or 20, 25 years ago, most guys stayed four years in college, so most guys were not Tatum's age in the playoffs. But we have seen a lot of impact players come right out of high school or or out of one or two years of college who are around Tatum's age who have made um, made a great impact in their first or second years in the playoffs. So Tatum is on on a short list of of some really excellent players. J- just to kind of finish that off, um, I have watched a little bit of the Celtics, and what's what impressed me last year about Tatum was how fluid his game was transitioning to the college level. I think that we see a lot, even of the one and done players, a lot of them come in and, and they get off to kind of shaky starts or um, they'll have games where it looks like they're, they're totally lost. I thought for the most part last year, Jason Tatum looked like 
He was in the rhythm of the game. He didn't slow down at the end of the season. He was good, I think, all the way through. And there's an expectation then that when they jump from the 30-ish, 35-game schedule of, of college to the 80-plus game schedule of the NBA, and then and then in Tatum's case, having played an additional 15 games already in the playoffs, that they're going to slow down there. He doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. He looks like he's, he's totally in rhythm with the game. His defense looks really good. Um, Seems like he he has adapted to to playing that fast NBA defense uh, the way that Brad Stevens wants him to play, and and that it hasn't affected his scoring ability. That that none of the things we saw from him last year have deteriorated with the the increased level of play. So I think it's it's all around game for him, um, and also that he's fit into this to this new team so well. That the Celtics among the teams that are that are left are probably the least star or definitely the least star studded of the final four, right? Cause you have Houston that has, that has uh, Chris Paul and, and James Harden golden state that has basically Everybody. every, everybody's a star <laughs> um, and LeBron James and, and the rest of the guys that he plays with, whoever their whatever their names are. And, and meanwhile, you have Jason Tatum as the leading scorer in the playoffs for the Boston Celtics. And I don't know if he's an NBA star yet. He's probably on his way there, but the rest of the team is made up of, what I would think, and this isn't not supposed to be an insult to them, but really good role players, and they're all playing well together. Brad Stevens uh, has gotten a lot of praise for the for the coaching that he's done on this team, and and I'm really impressed by the way that Tatum has kind of taken the reins for them without really, you know, taking over the team because I think that would be an uncomfortable situation for a rookie to be in. Well, I think a lot of people look at the Celtics. First of all, I would say. Um, Al Horford is not a role. Al Horford, um, you know, the guy who's a multi-year NBA all-star, um, not a great player, certainly not, you know, your comparison to the other teams that all have guys who are all NBA. Um, uh, Horford is not an all NBA kind of performer, but I mean, he's, he's, he's been an all-star. Right. Exactly. But, um, but your, your larger point is really correct. And, and yeah, everyone talks about Brad Stevens and the job he's doing with the Celtics. Um, I, I, I would say that, my bet is when we look back in four or five years, we will look at the Celtics team and go, oh, those guys weren't under-talented. Tatum's a perennial all-star. Right. Jalen Brown's a perennial. I think Tatum and, and Jalen Brown are going to become fixtures on the all-star team in coming years. But uh, perhaps of, perhaps yeah. in the way, like, like if you look back at those Spurs teams from the early 2000s, not realizing that Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili are Hall of Famers in their own yeah. right, yeah. Uh, yeah. But they're like, oh, well, all they have is Tim Duncan and a bunch of role players. Yeah. That that's probably what we're talking about here with with these Celtics if they keep this group together and and they all develop the way it appears they're going to. Hey, Donald, anything on uh, on Tatum uh, before we move on to some other Dukies in the NBA? Well, I've I've watched just about every you know Celtics almost this entire playoffs, all these games, and and what strikes me the most about Jason Tatum is that. You, you guys talked about it. There was a point where uh, when there's two weeks left in the regular season and Kyrie goes out and they're like, well, Boston's chances of doing anything are completely done because all they have are these guys and, and their leader was Kyrie. Their, their, star, their other star was Gordon Hayward who went down in the first three minutes of the season and they don't have anybody left. And they have a couple of guys who are experienced, you know, role players like Marcus Morris and, and Aaron Baines and Al Horford. but you don't have anybody who's going to step up and take charge. Jason Tatum stepped up and took charge. And Jalen Brown and, and Scary Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart, 
those guys are all playing together and, and hats off to Brad Stevens because Brad Stevens has proven that you can take a couple of guys that no one thinks is going to do anything and turn them into something and, and give them the reins and let them play. And I think that's what the best thing about Jason Tatum is for some guys in college, you see them in college and you see them in the pros and you go, how do they make this leap? There was a leap at some point between college and the pros and they made it and they're, they are now excellent. But last year we, we talked about it a lot that we saw a lot of NBA game in Jason Tatum. We saw a lot of that fluidity and we saw that, and we thought that the transition from him for him from college to the pros would be less than a lot of good players out there that were leaving after one year. And we are now seeing that. And when you see a guy, you know, usually you, you see a guy hit that wall as, as Sam said, after about 30 or so games in the NBA, he didn't have that. And at that point he ceased to be a rookie and he's, and he became an NBA player and really became a guy that you can count on in the next few years. So I, I'm I'm really excited to see what he does the rest of these playoffs. I think they have a as of right now, they have a great shot at getting to the to the NBA finals. And he's the star of that. And I think that is what's uh heartwarming is that out of all this, he has ceased becoming just rookie and he has become an NBA star. People are saying those words next to his name and have not mentioned it at all that this is his first season in the NBA. It took him having to say that after the semifinals saying, hey, I don't know how to guard LeBron James. I'm just rookie. I'm just here. Uh, so we'll play him how we play him. He he's erased that you know inhibition and, and just erased that fear uh, that a lot of rookies go through in their first year, and he has just become an NBA star, and that's, that's heartwarming to see. Yeah, I agree. The, the last thing I'd mention about Tatum is I think one of the things you look for, um, uh, especially in young players, uh, is you wonder a little bit how will they – perform under the pressure of the playoffs the playoffs is a really big deal in the nba and um if you if you look at tatum's numbers in the regular season you know he was he scored about 14 points per game um and uh yeah, about one and a half assists a game he, the, he was he had a very very nice rookie season little question that he had like you know probably the third best um rookie season of anybody um in the nba this year after donovan mitchell and ben simmons um, in the playoffs, he's really stepped it up. I mean, his scoring has gone from just under 14 to over 18 points a game. He's doubled his assists per game. Um, I, you know, his his minutes have picked up uh, a little bit, um, and he's being more assertive uh, out there on the floor. And um, and like we said, the Celtics are the Celtics are running plays for him. They're putting the ball in his hands in key moments because they know he'll make a smart decision. And his defense has really improved. Um, that that's. It's just a, a, a you know a great sign for his growth and maturity. I'll, I'll I'll comment about one other little thing. We we've spoken before, and there's lots of talk about the one and done rule, and whether it you know whether it makes sense and and whether it should be done away with. I think it's going to be done away with fairly soon. And I think all of us kind of agree that there isn't a reason for you know these guys who probably are are ready or really close to ready to be in the NBA for them to play a year of college ball. The one comment I would make about that, and I agree with that, and that's 100% true, and we've hashed that discussion many times. It's kind of nice that we got a year of Jason Tatum at Duke and got to know him a little bit at Duke, and as a result, can have more appreciation for what he's doing in Boston now. I feel more of a connection to the Boston Celtics as a result of Jason Tatum being on that team because I watched him, I enjoyed him, and I loved seeing the way he played basketball at Duke. If 
if he'd just gone directly to the NBA, I'd probably still really appreciate his play. I'd still think he's one of the best young players in the NBA and a future star in the league, but I wouldn't feel the same connection to him. So, you know, one and done, it's going to go away. It, it probably doesn't belong. It's unfair and a million and 50 other things about it that, that aren't right. But at the same time, that's one thing that I kind of like about it. All right. Well and, and yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I try every now and then. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I mentioned guys lifting their games in the playoffs, guys, you know, who, uh, who, who increase their scoring and things like that on, under, the, uh, under the biggest stage. I want to move on to another Dookie in the NBA who, who I feel like did that as well, and that's J.J. Redick, who amazingly to me at the age of 33 had probably his best season this year for the Philadelphia 76ers. You're not supposed to do that when you're 33 years old. And then um, really I thought had uh, – there were some bad moments, but – for the most part, had had a very, very good playoffs, lifted his scoring average in the playoffs, averaged more than 18 points a game for the Sixers in the in the postseason. The Sixers were knocked out by the Celtics, but but played very well, and, and their future as a team looks really, really bright. Donald, I know you paid special attention to what J.J. did. God, feels like he's been around the NBA forever, and J.J. Reddick's been in the NBA for 12 seasons. Do you know how many of those 12 seasons he's been in the playoffs? One. <laughs> Uh, how many no. seasons JJ Redick has been in the playoffs? I'm gonna guess. Yeah. I'm gonna guess. Nine? Or I guess two. No, two, two, because he was in one year with the uh, Clippers. No. Yeah. So d- wait, wait, wait. So Donald, wait. JJ Redick. He played on. He played on those Orlando Magic teams that made the finals. Yeah, Donald. JJ Redick has been in the playoffs. I was gonna I nine. Hold on. Hold on. He's been in the playoffs every single season of his career. Is JJ Redick right? doesn't know what it's like to play for a team that's in the lottery. JJ Redick's teams always wait. Make they can't the be playoffs. right. He played on the Bucks one year, and they, and they were the eight seed. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes, they were. Stupid <laughs> yeah. I remember that year. We should have been the eight seed. I hate that. That's right. <laughs> they traded. They traded for him. They traded for him in the middle of the season. That was when uh, who was uh, Jason Kidd was there. Yeah. Yeah. Idiots. I can't believe it. <laughs> I was like, Donald's not serious, Wait, is he? He Don- made the Donald finals. Donald said one. Yeah. Donald said one. He played on the all F- those Clippers teams. All those Clippers. I mean, w- by the time he came to the Clippers, they were already good. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thought was, oh, if they add another shooter in Reddick, because they already had a lot. They of, had Paul. They had Blake. They had, uh, and they had DeAndre. DeAndre. Yeah. They had their core. They had the core, but they didn't, they didn't have the shooter. And it was like, J- JJ will be... 15 points a game and we'll get them to the finals. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, they, that never really worked out for them. It never seemed like that, that Clippers team ever was, fully was got to their points potential. A game, by the way, huh? By the way, he, he was, he was 15 points a game. He was really oh, good yeah. for yeah, them. Yeah. He was just he the did. guys like he comes off the bench. He's going to shoot his three. Yeah, he got, he got the yeah. numbers he was expected to. I just never thought that team became as good as I thought. Cause when they signed him, they were already awesome. Yeah. And I was like, Man, the Clippers are going to be so fun now, and mm-hmm. and I I am going to I you know as much as I'll root for any team that isn't my team in the NBA. That was like one of one of my favorite teams when they were like at their peak, and it never felt like they got to where they could have. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jason, so, you were making you were making a point about JJ Redick always making the playoffs. But I mean, how incredible is that? That he has always made every single season of his career, he has been in the playoffs. Um, now, uh, granted, a lot of it, especially those early Orlando years, wasn't really him making the playoffs as much as it was everyone else in the team because because uh, he didn't play a ton. Um, but but boy, he pl- he played really well in the playoffs this year. Eighteen points a game. Um, uh, you know, he was he was stellar. Uh, and 
And I was going to get all this going by saying, Donald, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about JJ's postseason career or postseason this year. So, so go for it, Donald. Yeah. So when he signed with the Sixers in the offseason, he discussed how, you know, he I mean, over the years, he was very open about uh, how the the process, uh, what he thought of it, uh, the, the Sixers process, Sam Hinkie's process and how he didn't like it, how he thought that teams should be playing to win and not playing to get draft picks and, and essentially tanking to get all these players. And then when he signed in the offseason with the Sixers, everybody was like, wait a minute, what 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 happened with all this talk about the process? And he said he, you know, finally realized what it meant to get these young players like Joel Embiid and, you know, uh, Ben Simmons and get these guys in and get them playing and get them gelling to get the process to work. And now that the process, he saw an end goal in sight, he bought into the process. And I think that's what made him play so, so free this year. Um, he, he had one of his statistically, if not his statistically best season, he led the team in scoring in the playoffs. He was one of their best shooters all season long. He was the veteran presence on a team that really is very, very young and the, their core is going to be around for a long time. And he really earned and what he did instead of signing for a couple years in or three or four years, one of his last paydays, he took a one-year contract and he did that so that he could really buy in and, and kind of be free and do this, you know, do this year with the Sixers and really play. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold, on, hold on. T- Time out a second. What? He took a one-year deal because the Sixers couldn't tie up his salary cap space and offer him more than one year. They had to, they had a bunch of money. They were able to give him $23 million. Right, but he turned down multi, multi-year contracts to sign but a not, one-year not for deal. 23. Not for 23. Not for 23. Well, not for 23. He could have made more. He could have made more total value, right? Signing with other teams, yeah. He I, I, and and he was betting on himself a little bit. I was actually reading mm-hmm. this morning about that process and the fact that he's going to go through it again this year and sort of how his calculus changes. I think that there was an argument to be made for him last year that he better go sign the highest value contract he can because he's probably not going to be able to keep this up very much longer. Mm-hmm. As, as we said, he's getting old. He's been playing in the NBA for twelve years. Um, but 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 really really but, quick yeah. shooters shooters is something where guys retain their skill for a long time. Um, look at Kyle Korver, who is still you know pretty much the same player he was several years ago. Or look Kyle at Ray like Allen for him. Right. Right. Yeah. Richard Ray, Ray Allen was, was was what nearly forty when he retired. He was. So. He was forty. Yeah. Exactly. He was forty. But, yeah. Continue. Yeah. So. Oh no! Go I, ahead. Go I ahead. was going to take it from him and say that. Uh, say that JJ. Uh, I, I think that that analysis about JJ better go get his money, you know, as much as he can now, because you don't know how long it'll last. Um, Jason, your point is good that that shooters stay around a while. I think also we know from following JJ's career probably more closely than most NBA fans do is that he is one of the one of the hardest workers in the league, and that he has maintained. Uh, his his NBA ability and gotten better through the years because of how hard he's worked. And so we know that him betting on himself is probably a winning bet because because he's got all this talent and he's got the the motivation to to keep being as good as he is. And I wouldn't be surprised if regardless of where he goes this summer in free agency, if he leaves the Sixers because he decides, you know, that there's a better opportunity for him. I haven't looked at all the cap space and everything. I know the Sixers are trying to get 
trying to go after some some bigger name players like LeBron James. If even if JJ Redick leaves after this season, if this Sixers team ends up being a perennial conference finals uh, uh, attendee in the Eastern Conference, I bet you that guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and the rest of this crew is going to look back on this season and look back on JJ's influence on them and think that that he was one of the guys that really pushed them. Uh, to be as great as they are and as great as they're going to be. And and you'll hear them praising J.J. Redick years down the road if they turn out to be this little dynasty that that I think they're capable of being in the East where there aren't as many of these awesome teams as there are in the West. Yeah, I mean, they they were praising them now. I mean, even you know during the regular season when they were winning big games and, and really people were starting to say, oh, well, the Sixers might be doing something. Uh, early in, even early in the playoffs, they were saying, "Yo, JJ is our guy. He's our leader. He's he's the floor general. He he sets the tone." And 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 they've talked a lot about how his veteran presence was something that they sorely needed. They needed someone who goes to the playoffs and has been there and has seen it and knows what to do to get there and knows the hard work you got to put in now to get to the playoffs next year. Uh, that sort of you know dynamic, bringing that to the team is probably what got the Sixers to become as good as they are so quickly. Uh, and they know, said that their goal this year was just to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. not you know necessarily to be like a top four seed, not to get through any any particular rounds of the playoffs, just to make it because it's been so long for them. And, mm-hmm. it, and, and the process, quote unquote, has become something of a joke, I right. think, among NBA fans and, and NBA commentators. And now um, with, with JJ on the team with that veteran presence – it seems like it was it was like predestined that they were going to make it here. It's like all of a sudden, oh my gosh, they do have all this talent. Now they've figured out how to put it all together. And I think that he deserves a lot of the credit for that. Yeah, they just made the playoffs. And as soon as they made the playoffs, they the way they, they ran through the first round like that, people were like, I'm sorry, Philly might be the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Now, granted, the, the Celtics came and, and dispatched all that, but it still was a tough series. It wasn't where you know, they were just getting destroyed or getting mollied. All those games were close down to the last, you know, few, few points, few baskets, few defensive stops. This team is going to be a force to be reckoned with over the next couple of years. And I hope uh, that the Sixers really say, you know what, we still need a guy like J.J. Redick around. Even if we go after LeBron James or some of these other big name stars, I hope we have a chance to keep him because he is going to be a piece that we will sorely need if we're going to advance uh, and get better throughout the years. But if they don't do that, Detroit Pistons, please. <laughs> okay, here we just, are. Just, just, <laughs> just throw some money at them. A couple years. JJ, Detroit's nice, I, man. I'll, I'll I'll show you around. I'll get you some Coney Dogs. Just go to Detroit. If, if the Sixers won't appreciate you, I for one will. I, see, I actually think the $23 million he made this year gives him some flexibility it would allow him perhaps to stay with the Sixers for less. He, he made so much more this season. I, I think probably if he'd signed like a three-year deal with someone else who'd had cap space, I think probably we'd be looking at like, I don't think he could have gotten more than around $12 million a year or so. Maybe as much as fifteen, probably not. So probably like a three-year, you know, 36, three-year, maybe $40 million right. Right, like three or $40 million deal. Instead, he signed a one-year $23 million deal. I think that means that the Sixers may be able to bring him back um, or some other team, you know, some other contender. Because as, as I mentioned, he plays for playoff teams. He wants, I'm sure JJ wants to make a deep playoff run and get a ring. 
um, before his career is done. Um, and this 20, the 23 million he made this year being overpaid probably by five, seven, maybe even 10 million this year, um, means that next year he can maybe take a little bit less and feel comfortable taking a little bit less and stay with, Really, um, you know, maybe the Sixers, maybe the Sixers are able to bring in LeBron James, or you know, there's lots of talk about that. Um, God, he would fit so well next to someone like that. Um, the same way he does right now with Ben Simmons, who who draws the D and then dishes to him, and he can do his thing on the perimeter. Re- I will really, say this, though. Yeah. I will say this, and, and this is obviously something that will will play out in the next you know month or so. Uh, I highly suspect that J.J. Redick is going to be one of the key names, and there's there's probably a list of like 10 or so, but he's going to be one of those guys whose fate is determined by where LeBron James goes. And I say that because his contract situation is of this, and LeBron may want to keep him, but if LeBron wants to go to Philadelphia, there may be some maneuvering around, and he, I, I would assume he would be one of the names on that list to go in the opposite direction. So I so I would say this. I would say that J.J. probably wants to stay in Philadelphia, even if LeBron James comes. But I think where LeBron James goes will determine – and it's, it's not just J.J., it's a bunch of guys. But I think he's one of those guys that if LeBron leaves Cleveland to go to Philadelphia, I would not be surprised if, if it says J.J. Redick is going to Cleveland because he has that contract number that – a team like Cleveland would like, and also that veteran presence that they're going to need um, going forward. But like you said, he's made the playoffs every single year. He's a veteran presence and he probably wants to go to a, a contender uh, situation. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But I, I, as much as it'd be great to see him play next to LeBron James, my heart just says that's not going to happen just because of the numbers. So let's move on really, really quickly. There are two other Dukies still alive in the playoffs, um, Rodney Hood and Quinn Cook. Um, Hood playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Quinn Cook playing for the Golden State Warriors, the loaded Golden State Warriors. Um, Quinn is not playing very much. Um, he, he was a key player for them down the stretch when uh, when Curry was hurt, when Seth was – I'm sorry, when Steph. <laughs> when Steph Curry was hurt, um, Quinn – um, was starting, and that's how he earned his contract. And we spoke a lot about that. Um, uh, but but as the playoffs have moved on, Quinn's role has lessened and lessened and lessened. Um, uh, Rodney Hood to me is sort of the more interesting story because LeBron James, that Cleveland team, desperately needs help um, for for LeBron. And uh, Rodney Hood, you know, you sort of thought might be a guy, especially with his perimeter skills, the way LeBron draws the defense, you thought that Hood might be a guy who could really do something for Cleveland. And boy, has he been disappointing, culminating in the final game of the Toronto series. Um, Cleveland is blowing Toronto out. It's about to be a four-game sweep. Hood had played terrible in that Toronto series, had seen his time dwindle and dwindle. He had scored a total of two points in the first three games of the series. Not a two-point average, two points total in the first three games. He wasn't shooting well. Like I said, his minutes were dwindling. And in game four, he hadn't played at all. Um, and Tyron Liu, the uh, Cleveland coach, came over to put in his scrubs. He essentially came over to put in you know, five guys who hadn't played. 
And he said to Rodney Hood, hey, Rodney, why don't you go in? And Hood said, nah, I'm good. I, I don't need to play right now. Um, and there was a good bit of controversy about this um, because uh, apparently some of the veterans on the team said, Rodney, you can't be doing that. That's not good. You're, <laughs> you're being paid to be a part of the team to, to play in games. And Rodney sort of refused to go in. Um, uh, you, Jason, Don, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I didn't, I, I saw this story. I didn't really understand like how it all, how it all like got concluded because I, I, I can't believe that Rodney hood was so like, I don't know, despondent or, 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 or disengaged from the game that that he was just like, nah, don't put, was that the actual explanation or was there more to it? Well, it was more like, so when they got him, when they got him in the trade and you know, the, the deadline trade where they just red wedding the entire Cavaliers roster and sent them elsewhere. <laughs> nice Game of Thrones. Nice Game yeah. of Thrones reference. Uh, I haven't even seen coming, that coming back. Uh, coming back in spring of 2019. Yeah. Um, when they when that happened, they they brought him in to be not just a starter, but also their three and D guy. Uh, and he was counted on to provide heavy minutes in the starting lineup and this revamped roster. So I'm sure in his mind, being sent in with in the last like five minutes of a game four where they're up uh 30 points to the raptors was probably viewed as an insult because it was you know garbage time we but, have, the, but the dude hasn't played well the dude hasn't so played like- well but it, it's still it's it again in the nba everyone thinks they're an all-star everyone thinks they're the man because they have been used to being the man their entire life and uh from from uh, on all levels so when when you're at that point it sounded like he was just like, nah, nah, dog, don't put me in. I'm not the guy. Like, put in put in homeboy down here that hasn't played. And it got, you know, the team was like, hey, man, we're going, we're in the middle of a championship run. You can't be doing this. It all got squashed uh, very soon after. Everybody apologized or, you know, Hood apologized. Everybody was cool. He's back in the rotation. Uh, but, yeah, it was it, for, you know, a good 24, 48 hours. It was not a good look for Rodney Hood to be. Uh, you know, they were talking about how Cleveland had just swept the Raptors and, and lost and all that was that was a loss in the sense that they're talking about Rodney Hood not checking into a game in the fourth quarter when they're up 30 points. So uh, it wasn't a good look, but I think it's all behind them now. He, the, he has not played well throughout this entire playoffs. Uh, and it, this next round, he hasn't played well yet either against the Celtics. Uh, but well, then again, he, no he, one he, on the Celtics has. Well, I was going to say in, in game one for Cleveland, he had 11 points which, believe it or not, he was their third leading scorer in game one. Now, a lot of that came at garbage time. Yeah, um, I was going to say he was uh, – his, his plus minus still wasn't good. Well, also, uh, like, LeBron didn't he have 40 that game, so – No, 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 no. No, that was the game LeBron had 15. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, he had 40 in the second game, and they still lost. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, look, uh, Rodney Hood was uh, – you know, he was getting mid-20s minutes per game in the regular season uh, for Cleveland, and – um, and in the like against Indiana, it was down to 18. Against Toronto, he was he was down to like 13. Um, and, and it's the same it's low teens again so far for for this Boston series. It's clear that his role is diminishing, um, and and he's not really comfortable with it. But on the other hand, and has not he's he's been awful. <laughs> he's yeah. been awful in the playoffs. If I want to go back to to Quinn Cook real quickly. You were talking yeah, about yeah. how he's not getting 
that much playing time. And honestly, I don't expect him to get that much playing time the rest of the rest of the way. And it's not because of what he has done in the playoffs or anything like that. He's been very, you know, very serviceable when he's in the game. Uh, I think the issue is, is that the Golden State Warriors are playing the Houston Rockets. And this is the, the matchup that everybody in the NBA has been waiting for all season. We are going to see the stars in this. This is going to be the Hamptons five. There's going to be James Harden. There's going to be Chris Paul, Chris Capella, or Clint Capella. Those guys are going to be playing. There's and Trevor Reason. They're going to be playing. There's there's not going to be a lot of garbage time in this series. There's not going to be a lot of times where the second and third units are going to get a lot of playing time. This is about the stars, and and unfortunately, that means less time for Quinn Cook. Now he has played quite a you know quite a bit for you know he's usually on that second unit. Um, or or your two a two b unit uh, for the for the Warriors during the series, but uh, yeah, his minutes are going to go down. It's not, but it's not based on his play. He has been good, um, and 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 everyone around the Golden State Warriors loves Quinn Cook and knows that he is a, an integral part of that that bench unit uh, in, for the next couple years. So. Uh, I wouldn't put too much stock, those of you out there, into saying, oh, I haven't seen Quinn Cook play a lot. He must not be doing great. He's doing just fine. It's just that it's the Golden State Warriors versus the Houston Rockets. This is essentially the finals, and you are going to see a lot of players that you know and very little of the players that you don't in this series. And, and that, unfortunately, puts Quinn Cook on the other side. And we've talked a lot about Quinn Cook here the last couple months because because of how well he played in the G League and and his eventual promotion to the Warriors and his signing of the two-year contract right at the end of the season. I don't think any of us expected that he was going to be playing major minutes here at the end of the playoffs, but the Warriors wanted him around next year as as a backup to Steph, uh, who often has suffers from injury problems. And, and I think that we should just be happy that he's getting any minutes at all for arguably the best team in basketball. Yeah. He's, he's earned himself. I mean, if, if the Warriors end up going on to win this thing, Quinn Cook's getting a ring. He's played enough games to to get a ring. He's been in is not one of those guys where like, hey man, like Darko Milicic when he won with the Pistons, he played like twelve games. He was he was literally nicknamed the Human Victory Cigar. Quinn is no victory cigar. Quinn is is a guy who's going to be playing and uh, basically while these guys get get rest with Steph and and Iguodala and even Livingston, um, when those guys are are resting on the bench, Quinn Cook's going to be in there and he's going to be. Uh, playing just as well as he has been playing the last couple of months. So uh, I'm still looking forward to it. And hopefully if, if there's some garbage time is, it's going to be shocking, but uh, I, I don't expect to see him play much going forward. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. So uh, let's wrap up the playoff conversation and, and um, but I want to add one, one, one quick, 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 quick thing. Um, Donald said, Oh, this, this warriors rockets thing is for the title. And that's the conventional wisdom, and everyone seems to think that the winner of that is going to stomp whoever comes out of the East, probably Boston. Um, I, I just want to put this out there. Um, everyone sort of thought Boston was dead even before the playoffs began. There were a lot of questions whether they would even beat Milwaukee. That series went seven games. Everyone was picking Philadelphia to beat Boston. Philadelphia had looked really impressive in their first round. Boston, you know, defeated them in five. I mean, everyone, everyone, everyone was picking Cleveland, who had just swept Toronto to beat Boston. We now have Boston up 2 nothing on Cleveland. Uh, you know, it, it's real easy to say, oh, of course the winner of the Warriors-Rockets series is going to win. These Celtics, I, 
guys, I don't know. There seems to be something special going on. And Brad Stevens is putting himself in a real conversation as one of the best basketball minds anywhere on the planet, college, pro, European, you name it. Um, He seems to be able to pull the, you know, make the right moves and push the right buttons and get his team doing just what he wants them to do. Uh, I, I think they will end up beating Cleveland. And I think they may surprise some people. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I, they may surprise some people against the, the winner of the Houston Warriors series. Anyway, we'll, we'll see. I want to move on to something different. I want to move, but it's still about the NBA. I want to quickly talk about Dukies in the NBA draft because specifically the NBA combine has been going on over the past several days and there have been some real eye-popping results going on. Um, Probably the most surprising of all of them is Grayson Allen. Now people, just so you understand what happens at the NBA combine, um, a a bunch of guys get invited. Basically everyone who has a shot at being a first or second rounder for the most part gets invited to the NBA combine. Not everyone accepts the invite. For example, Marvin Bagley didn't accept. He didn't go. He's he's not being measured, no nothing. He just didn't even show up because teams know enough about him. And and the only thing that can happen if you show up and do this stuff, if you're a top, top pick, is you know potentially something bad can happen. Your stock can, can hurt. So the guys who show up, the guys who play, the guys who get measured, the guys who do the, uh, the athletic drills and the such tend to be guys who probably aren't quite in the lottery um, looking to maybe move themselves up. A lot of second round, you know, late first, early second round guys trying to move into the first round. The guy who's probably been the most surprising among the Dukies is Grayson Allen. He didn't participate in the scrimmages, um, but he did get measured. He did the athletic testing, and his athletic testing was like off the charts. Um, his his vertical leap and his his, his standing vertical were among the best of anyone at the combine. Um, he he had there's this lane agility drill where you you show your quickness and your your speed in the in the lane, and he recorded the fastest time of anyone at the combine on this lane agility drill. And I think he recorded like the fourth or fifth fastest time ever in the in in the combine's history. Um, athleticism had maybe been seen as a little bit of one of Grayson Allen's weaknesses. Now it's not a weakness at all. And people Jason, are talking. Jason, let me, yeah. Can I interrupt yeah, you on that? Yeah. I think yeah. any, if, if you're a general basketball observer and, and you said that Grayson Allen's athleticism is playing against him, it's probably just because you're a standard racist basketball fan. If you're a Duke <laughs> fan and you've been watching Grayson Allen for four years and you think that he lacks athleticism, I, I don't know what, I, I don't yeah, know let's what say. TV. He's, listen, Grayson Allen's got a lot of issues, right? We know that. He's, he's had all kinds of problems on the court. Um, be it his health or or his his temper or whatever you want to call all the all the issues surrounding Grayson Allen being able to get in the lane and get up and dunk has never been a problem for him it wasn't a problem for him when he was 16 it's not a problem for him at 22 and it doesn't surprise me that we we get to the combine and all of a sudden it's like oh Grayson Allen's a great athlete mm-hmm. Freak, like duh come on now well that's the thing I've, <laughs> like, like like you said if we've been talking about this for years so like the surprise is not coming from Duke circles. That's it's not, not us. It's not us. Yeah. It's everyone else who's been like, yo, Grayson Allen's a piece of trash. I hate him. He's, he trips people all the time. Wait, he's he's athletic? Oh, 
Oh, he's actually pretty good. Oh, he can get in the lane can, and make moves. He he could jump. He he's very quick on agility. Wow, I had no idea. I just been talking about <laughs> him is, because I hate him. I mean, like, like we, this is the haters I finally have, realizing that I yo, they're hating on someone. <laughs> I, I, we didn't even talk about this a couple months ago because, like, I, I think we assume that among the three of us and and among the people who listen to the show, we know that Grayson Allen is athletic. We don't have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have to address the dumb basketball fans. You know, but, but lack, we did though. Uh, I mean, we did. <laughs> There'd be times but, where he'd yam on people like, "Yo, Grayson Allen, we knew he was athletic." But... Yeah, we we know he has that. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, not right, right. I'm not surprised that he's doing well. And and Jason, you haven't talked about Duval or Trent also participating in the combine and being. I was just about uh, to get to them and, and and being right there with him. Why don't you Why don't you give us the the rundown and then I'll give you the exact same reaction, which is, "Duh, we, like we, <laughs> we know how that. athletic they that. are." Yeah. Tell, tell us about them. Well, I, I Gary Trent so. Uh, Gary, you know, Trevon Duval, um, he had the second best standing vertical of anyone at the combine. I mean, again, again, not shocked (laughs) at all. Yeah. Did you, you, like, I understand this year that he lost the ball at inopportune times often, but in the, in the times when he was able to get to the lane, he got up. Remember that UNC game? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Goodness. But Trevon Duval did not play in the scrimmages. Like he showed off his athletic gifts. He showed off his athleticism. Which makes perfect sense. Because mm-hmm. he's because he's not he's not a lottery pick type basketball player yet. He just has the athleticism. So he might as well just go to the athleticism drills and say, Well, look at how fast and, and how fast I can run and how high I can jump and how quickly I can change directions. Those are all the things that are gonna get him as high as he's gonna go in the draft. Right. Playing well, may I, actually lessen that. And, and really, like you said, the combines for people who want to go and say, this is why you should draft me. So for some guys, they need to play because like, look, I, I'm not going to test off the charts, but you, when you see me play, you're going to, you're going to be wowed. Some guys are going to be like, you don't need to see me play. You just need to see me jump, jump, hit the, hit the 50 inch vertical thing. And then, and then I'm going to go about my business I mean, and you can watch everybody Duval else. Play. Is like the, uh, a, Probably of, of all the players that have been at Duke in recent history, Duval's probably the most prototypical, um, uh, you know, projection player as opposed yeah. to now player. Yeah. Right? We yeah. we don't yeah. we, we we saw him this year, and and every game there was there were one or two plays where we thought, man, if he could do that all the time, he's going to be an all star. But mm-hmm. but the majority of his plays were, gosh, Duval again, like <laughs> losing the ball in the lane, <laughs> you know, throwing it out of bounds to nobody. Um, but those uh, are things that missing the, assignments. Those are things like that, that teams believe they can they can teach or or, or get you out well, of he's young. He, he, yeah, yeah he's young you can develop that right yeah. he, he doesn't have to be like someone's gonna say okay look he he had there's at one point he had like a five you know five to one assist turnover ratio and then that obviously went down a little bit but you know at the same time someone can say you know what i can get him out of that habit of throwing the ball away we can teach him how to do that we can't teach leaping ability we can't teach speed you can't teach height that's what people are looking for this combine, and I think it's I think it's actually a smart move by Duval to go and say, "Here are my athleticism numbers. You guys can stew over that all you wish. I await your call." And again, well, the Pistons brought him in yesterday uh, based on that. So, hey, Pistons, I'm just saying we we won't have a first round pick, but second round if yeah, he's there. And and, and most people are saying that Trevon Duval, by not playing in the scrimmages and the such, they're they're you know, and, and, and sort of indicating that, you know, gameplay is still something he needs to work on. 
Um, most people are saying that Duval is, is going to be a second rounder, not going to be a first rounder. But Gary Trent did play in the scrimmages. He had 22 in one of the scrimmages on just, I think it was like seven shots or nine shots. Really, really efficient. Um, uh, he turned heads, uh, was playing really well. And Trent, who was a guy who's sort of known as, you know, a, a shooter, not necessarily an athlete, even though he is a good athlete, his athletic scores, his vertical leap and things like that were also really, really strong among the best of anyone who tested there. So there are a lot of folks saying that as a result of Trent playing really well in the scrimmages, showing it, it, he's a better athlete maybe than some folks had expected, that Gary Trent has played his way at the Combine into being a, a first-rounder. Most, most folks are now saying that he's probably going to go like in the 20s you know, sort of uh, mid to late first round. So, so good for him. Um, and I also yeah, wanted to point out to a great situation, like a, a playoff contending or a championship contending team where he, as we talked about with JJ could be the final piece, you know, the shooter or, or who can, you know, be also athletic that kind of play, you know, doing something where you're talking about people being, you know, early second round, if you play yourself into the late first round, that means you're playing yourself into a much better team and probably a much better situation. So uh, the other thing about Gary Trent was there was a really interesting quote from him about Wendell Carter. Did you all see what he said about Wendell Carter? No, but I, but I want to hear. Go ahead. So Gary Trent, you know, part of what happens at the Combine is everybody gets interviewed. And uh, they asked Gary Trent about Wendell Carter, and he said, I'm going to tell you all something. If Marvin Bagley hadn't been at Duke this year, Wendell Carter would absolutely be in the conversation for the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, we saw how well Carter played in the few games that Bagley missed. Um, there's a lot of talk about Carter, you know, maybe even sneaking up as high as like six or seven um, in the lottery. Uh, I, I think someone's going to get a steal, you know, when they when they pick up Wendell Carter. Um, I, I know that there are a lot of Chicago folks. Chicago's picking number seven. There are a lot of people in Chicago who think. They're going to nab Carter at number seven if he's still there um, <clears throat> and put him alongside Larry Markin and, um, and form a really, really solid front line. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, a lot of talk about Wendell Carter, even though he wasn't even at, you know, he, he, well, he wasn't playing at the combine. He didn't do any of the athletic drills. He just got measured. He, you know, he, you know, he stuck out his arms and he stepped on a scale and things like that. He got measured. I can I can um, confirm and, that Wendell Carter is in fact a very large human being. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Way so, to go. I, I I know that much about him. And and yeah, I I I will not be surprised if he's one of the like he may not have the third or fourth best career of anybody in this draft, but in terms of immediate impact, he seems like about as good of a bet as you can get from a big man who isn't you know, the, the most star athlete like Marvin Bagley or, or DeAndre. And you were mentioning Chicago. Uh, if, if Chicago somehow passes on him, I doubt he gets past the Knicks um, with, with David Fisdale. Now the coach, that's the type of big man that he usually prefers. So uh, I, if, if he's not going to go to Chicago and he falls a couple more spots, he might be a knickerbocker by the end of the night and would pair very well with Kristaps Porzingis. Boom. Oh yeah. yeah. Two guys who could, who can stretch the floor and yeah, long and protect the rim and stuff. Yeah. That'd be, I mean, the Knicks I think would love if, if he's there at nine, they'd be very, very happy. Uh, guys, I wanted to mention lightning, lightning fast, two other very, very quick things from the combine that affect the ACC, not necessarily Duke. Uh, Georgia Tech's Josh Okogie was at the combine. Um, did really, really well in the uh, athletic measurement stuff. I mean, like, uh, you know, blew the doors off some of the athletic stuff. 
And uh, most people are now saying uh, he also played well in the scrimmages. Most folks are now saying that Josh Okoge looks like he's played his way into being, if not a first rounder, an early second rounder, and that he will stay in the draft. Um, if he had, uh, there was most of the speculation was he probably was going to come back to Georgia Tech. That's sort of shifted now. Um, and I think he would have been, you know, absolutely a huge key piece for Georgia Tech. He was their best offensive player by far last year. They were tremendously offensively challenged. If Tech was going to have any hope of moving sort of out of the ACC cellar, it was going to be on the back of Josh Okogie. And it looks like they're now not going to get that chance because he's going to be gone. And then the other one, which I think probably is even more significant, Tyus Battle of Syracuse um, played uh, played quite poorly. He, he did not have a good combine. He he didn't score well in any, any of the athletic stuff. He didn't play well in the scrimmage. He just didn't stand out at all. And so it's looking like back to Syracuse, will return to Syracuse. He was their best offensive player. And having him back with some of the other pieces that they add after, you know, Syracuse had a really nice run in the NCAA tournament, as we as we well know. Um, uh, getting Tyus Battle back probably put Syracuse in the conversation, top three, top four in the ACC, you know, top 15, top 20 nationally, perhaps. Um, so, so a big deal for them, uh, you know, not confirmed yet. We don't know any of this stuff yet, but it looks like Tyus Battle probably didn't do well enough at the Combine to go into the NBA. Once again, the uh, DBR podcast wants to thank our sponsor, uh, the guys from Bird Campbell. Um, they are a law firm founded by two former Duke roommates. They have offices in Texas and Florida. And if you have legal needs in those places, we urge you, please reach out to these guys. They are good guys. You can find them on the web at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. And if nothing else, reach out to them and tell them, go to hell, Carolina, go to hell. Guys, we've got a little more news we want to do, and this connects directly to uh, next year's Duke basketball team, Joey Baker, um, a five-star recruit, one of the top players in the class of 2019, said, wait, 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 I am not in the class of 2019 anymore. I'm in the class of 2018. Joey Baker, who is coming to Duke, joins the already impressive 2018 Duke um, freshman class. Uh, we can now call it the Fab Five, I guess. Um, or, or something like that, or the five musketeers, because Baker is now the fifth recruit who's a part of that class. Um, uh, uh, Sam, I'll go to you first. Um, uh, do you think, you know, there's some question. Joey Baker is a fine, fine player, a really good, he's a wing and a good outside shooter. Um, uh, you think Joey Baker gets much playing time for Duke next year? There's talk that he may merely be coming to sort of redshirt for a year. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, although in the final 247 sports composite ranking he is ranked as the 31st 31st best player in this class which generally indicates that yeah he should be playing his freshman season even if he's at a, a program like duke that being said like you said jason he, he's he's like a bigger wing and we've been talking about this recruiting class the whole time about how they have too many bigger wings they already have uh cam reddish and and rj barrett and zion williamson who aren't all the same player, right? They, they all have different, um, different, you know, best aspects of their game. And, um, and Joey Baker, I think is expected to be a little bit more of a shooter than those guys are. But that being said, it's not like, it's not like he has a clear path to lots of minutes. So I wouldn't be surprised if he red shirts this year. Um, although it wouldn't be 
sort of expected given his given his recruiting ranking. And I know that Coach K in the past has lamented not specifically redshirting certain guys um, because of, of the way that their developments turned out. Ryan Kelly. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, I think Ryan Kelly being the best example. Ryan Kelly, not exactly the same type of player. Joey Baker's more of a wing. Ryan Kelly was obviously a big man who could go out and, and shoot threes, um, but who wasn't really physically there in the 2010 season to contribute. He only played a few minutes a game, and and Duke really could have used him rather than in 2010 as a freshman. They could have used him in 2014 as a as a super senior. Um, Joey Baker might be might be too talented to keep on the bench. Uh, he might be a guy who has NBA aspirations earlier than the end of his senior season. So what's the point then of of keeping him on the bench? But but yeah, I I can see Coach K deciding. Look, we're loaded at this area. I what I'm curious about is how the conversation goes down when you are Joey Baker, who is already, you know, he's going to be a top player in the class of 2019. He knows that the, the the Duke team in the 19 season is crowded at his position, and he still decides, I'm going to come early. I think that usually when these players decide to skip ahead of class, be it going all the way back to Andre Dawkins, um, Derek Thornton in more recent years, it's because Duke has a specific need at their position. That wasn't the case here for Joey Baker. So I am curious how that all went down. Not that we'll ever find out until many years after and, and it's not relevant anymore. But um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm curious and and I'll be excited for him either way. Yeah, and I th- you know, you were talking about the uh um you were talking about the conversation that they probably had. It sounded like from when Joey Baker was speaking that they were just talking about his overall game development. And he came to the decision that even with this loaded class at his position, that he would have a better chance of developing greater, uh, taking the, you know, accelerating his uh, uh, status to become 2018 instead of waiting one more year in high school and then coming. So uh, I wonder if it's, you know, the chance to kind of be in practice and learning from, you know, Coach K and also just competing every day against, you know, the top three players in the country that all play a similar position to him might have, you know, factored into that. But it is an, it is a curious one where you say, hey, you're probably going to come in redshirt, uh, reclassify, come to Duke early, and then redshirt. Um, I, I, that's not something that you see often. So um, I, I think that'll be interesting to see how that develops. But at the same time, if you're good, you're good. And if you, if you have the tools to play, Coach K is going to get you on the floor. So uh, if he comes ready to play and develop, we may see him on the court next year. I don't know. Skipping the high school All-American circuit doesn't sound like something that I would want to do mm-hmm. because it seems like it's a lot of fun. But yeah, if if you think this is going to be better for you, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, but again, I mean, Donald hit on it. It's about it's about development as a player. It's about making yourself better. I mean, Joey Baker was not a guy who was a lock to someday be in the NBA. And he may say to himself, if if I want to reach the NBA, the best way to do it is to get an extra year of of practice from coach K and the Duke coaching staff with their facilities, with, you know, uh, with all the advanced stuff they have that they're able to teach me and, and practicing against RJ Barrett and, and Cam Reddish against guys who are future NBA lottery picks um, is going to be better for me than dominating another year of high school. I think it's a very intelligent decision on his, on his part. I, I, I do, I do think he's, if not red shirting, he's going to play a, a fairly small role because I think he, will play the same kind of role. He could play the same kind of role as Alex O'Connell. And O'Connell's already been there a year. O'Connell already showed us a lot of what he can do. And he, he performed quite quite well 
um, you know, arguably the best outside shooter on Duke's team last year. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't really see Baker leaping ahead of a, a more experienced, already proven Alex O'Connell in the rotation. Um, the last thing I'll add is I really like the fact that Joey Baker isn't a kid who's all about himself and all about his playing time and that kind of thing. He, he, he wants to come get better by playing against better players. And uh, I really admire that. And I think it, it speaks to what kind of teammate he will be and what kind of development you will see from him um, and speaks to it in, in the best kind of ways. Uh, So uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. And, and we'll get, we'll get more of a chance to get to know him as opposed to these guys that we only very, very briefly get to know. Maybe maybe Joey Baker, uh, on a totally different tangent, maybe he has already fulfilled the maximum number of AP credits that, that the Trinity College of Arts and Sciences will let you transfer from high school, and he just wants to get on with his academic career. Maybe not. Yeah, I'm sure that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if we're widely speculating, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's just a stellar scholar athlete. And, and maybe he likes chemistry. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't accelerate my high school career to get to go take college chemistry. I heard that was pretty hard. Yeah. But but that could be his that could be his bag. Uh, All okay. right, let's move on. <laughs> Time for parting shots. Uh, Donald, I will go to you first. I know what your parting shot is, and it's going to be a fun one. Oh, it is. Okay, guys, we're going to go back to Detroit. We're going back to my Detroit Pistons, and they're actually doing something smart. They're bringing in to interview uh, one of our very own, my hometown hero, uh, comes from my high school, went to my college, and now could play or could be in the front office for my team. Yes. Our daddy, Shane Battier. Shane Battier has, uh, is right now, recently, he's been with the Miami Heat. Uh, he is the uh, director of player development and analytics. And if, if that sounds like a made up position, it very much is because they literally created the position to keep him in the organization after he retired. So he is now leaving, or not leaving, but he's interviewing with the Detroit Pistons to, for a spot in their revamped front office after they fired Stan Van Gundy. Look, Detroit Pistons, I'm telling you, there is, and, and really this is for any team out there, there is no better person who has the tools to, A, progress in his career as an as an NBA executive, and B, bring something to the table right now that Shane Battier. They Donald, literally I thought could. you were going to say, you were just going to stop at, there is no better person than Shane Battier. I mean, look, I, I was trying to draw it out <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> But yes, I could have stopped there. You you had way too many qualifiers. It, it doesn't even qualify. By the way, by the way Shane, hey Donald. Yeah, Shane is a Detroit boy, right? I literally he went to Detroit Country Day High School. Shout out my yeah. high school. He was the first, literally the first person I met in high school was Shane Battier. The first person I got to see when I went to Duke University was Shane Battier. This guy, it, he is not he has not played for a business organization. He's been with the Heat. He's been with the Houston Rockets. He's been with Memphis Grizzlies. This would be a homecoming of sorts, and people say of sorts because, again, he did not play for the Pistons. But nor did he go to Michigan. Nor, nor did Michigan he go to Michigan. State. He went to Duke, but he he played. He grew up in Michigan. He he went to Detroit Country Day. He won three state championships there. He has won on all levels. Bring this man home. Let this man help bring back the old Detroit Pistons that we know and love. He would be a a great guy to uh, really deal with the player development, the analytics, and even more so. Uh, 
player decisions and personnel decisions. You want a guy like that in your front office. And if the Detroit Pistons are smart, they would hire him. So hopefully that makes sense. Shane, friend of the podcast. Hopefully I can say finally Shane Battier of the Detroit Pistons, friend of the podcast. All right. So my parting shot, ordinarily the host, I'm the host this week, would do their parting shot last. I'm going to inject my parting shot here. Sam, we will wait on yours for just a moment because my parting shot dovetails perfectly off of uh, Donald's parting shot. Donald was talking about the Pistons' search for a new head of their front office. I want to talk very quickly about the Pistons' search for their new head coach because the Pistons are considering Becky Hammond, um, the, the assistant coach of the San Antonio Spurs. She is one of the contenders for the Pistons' head coaching job. Becky Hammond had been among the contenders for the Milwaukee Bucks head coaching job. They went a different direction. They didn't pick her. But you all read, Becky Hammond, uh, of course, is in the news, and it's, it's news when she's up for a coaching job because, uh, as you can tell by the name Becky, she is, she is a female. She is a woman. She's not a man. And, um, and everyone's sort of waiting and expecting that at some point she will break the gender barrier and become the first female head coach in the NBA. Um, guys, did you all read what Pau Gasol Pau Gasol, who's a member of the San Antonio Spurs and has known Becky Hammond for several years. Did you read what Pau Gasol said about Becky Hammond? He just, he, I, I believe the quote was something like, she's just a, a great basketball coach. And there were, and that was, that was all he said. I mean, there was more, there was more discussion in the, at least in the article that I read, but the summary was, she's just a great basketball coach. And full and stop. If, yeah. And if Pau Gasol and the San Antonio Spurs think it, then, then everyone should think it, right? Yeah, so I wanted to read, there's a paragraph from Pau Gasol's article that he wrote in the Players' Tribune that I thought was just so beautifully done, and I just wanted to read it for folks so they were aware of it. Pau Gasol says about Becky Hammond, he says, I've been in the NBA for 17 years. I've won two championships. I've played with some of the best players of this generation, and I've played under two of the best sharp sports, Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich. I think we would all agree. Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich know how to coach NBA basketball. Pau Gasol says, I'm telling you, Becky Hammond can coach. I'm not saying she can coach pretty well. I'm not saying she can coach enough to get by. I'm not saying she can coach almost at the level of an NBA male coach. I'm saying Becky Hammond can coach NBA basketball, period. I think that's just a great statement by Pau Gasol. And I love, there was one other part of Pau Gasol's article that I thought was really interesting to me. <clears throat> Pau pointed out that his mother and father were um, a doctor and a nurse, but it was his mother who was the doctor and it was his father who was a nurse and, and that it never sort of occurred to him that, the, that there were gender roles associated with those two professions. Um, most of us think of a doctor, we think of a man. Most of us think of a nurse, we think of a woman um, because we brought up with certain gender roles in society. And Pau said, you know, he's like, no, for, for me, jobs and gender roles weren't something that you sort of fixed on. Um, and, and, and so he said, Becky Hammond deserves to be an NBA head coach and, and she's under consideration for the Pistons. I, I think it's sort of interesting, Donald, I, I'm, I'm guessing the Pistons will try to hire their, um, GM before they hire their head coach, but, um, it'd be really interesting. I'd love if Shane Battier and Becky Hammond are there, I will instantly become an even bigger Pistons fan than I already, already am. I'd love this. Uh, you know, they, there's talk. I mean, everyone talks about who who they would want in a coach or GM for the Pistons. Uh, and, and just on the coach's side, 
Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about people wanting the Pistons to just drive down the 401 to Toronto and pick up Dwayne Casey. Uh, I would love that too. But having Becky Hammond uh, as the head coach, I, I would be all in favor of that. As as Sam put it, that Powell said, she is a basketball coach, period. That And, and, and she is a great one. Uh, and and will be a great one. So I would I would love to see this, um, and hopefully it happens. All right, time for the last power, parting shot, and for that we go to Sam Klein. So only because we didn't get to talk to it at length today, I, I think that we ended up with we were sort of waiting for enough topics to appear, and then all of a sudden we had too many topics because of all the NBA stuff going on. But the uh, Supreme Court ruling from I think it was earlier this week that uh, that allows states to um, to make their own laws regarding sports gambling. There was some confusion about it that said that the Supreme Court was was legalizing uh, sports gambling. That wasn't the case. It was just saying that the federal government doesn't have the authority to stop states from doing that. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of repercussions that are going to come out from this. Uh, we know that New Jersey's already instituted sports gambling or, or, or is, is in the process of putting the infrastructure together. We know that a number of other states are have either passed legislation or looking at passing legislation. Don't be surprised in the next couple of years if most states in the United States are um, have some kind of legal sports gambling going on. Uh, I think it's going to be fun for us to talk about going forward, mostly because we have at least one gambling addict, Jason Evans, who helps host this program. <laughs> so we're going to be getting all kinds of of bad beat coverage from him, but. Uh, there's going to be a lot of discussion among the leagues and the NCAA about how to, um, if you want to be cynical, how to get their cut of the whole thing, or really how to regulate it and make sure that that everything is above board and that and that there's no uh, point shaving or any of that stuff going on. Now that it's going to be more out in the open than it's been the last however many decades or, or really forever. Um, so I, I think it's a I think it's going to be an interesting. Uh, change to the sporting landscape and we're gonna i know we're gonna talk more about it because we have that kind of interest um hopefully our listeners uh, appreciate that sort of thing but get ready for a lot more discussion of legalized sports gambling and uh check in with your um with your local governments to see what they are doing about it um because who knows you might have a sports book uh in in your favorite sports bar down the street um sooner than you think I, I it it's a big deal, um, and it's uh, to to me. I think it is going to it's going to change um, uh, sports in America. Um, there's going to be far there a awareness of of betting lines and things like that. Um, and this is going to this is going to enhance that significantly. And and I agree with you. You're going to see my bet is you'll see maybe a half dozen. Sport, uh, states over the next month, month and a half, two months, will have sports gambling in place. Um, and it'll take a little bit longer for some of the other ones because there's there's all this reluctance, especially in some states that are a little more conservative. Um, uh, there's some reluctance, uh, you know, the gambling is a sin or something like that. But look, we've seen the lottery spread all over the all over the country for the most part. I won't be at all surprised if by the time we hit next year's NCAA tournament next March. Less than a year from now, I, I, my bet is we'll have 20 states that will allow you to legally bet on the NCAA tournament. And, and there's, there are midterm elections coming up in six months. Um, you will see candidates put this on their platforms that, mm -hmm. that they want to uh, get this done and, and institute it as quickly as possible. There's going to be one thing that falls by the wayside, though. 
whenever you hear you see a, a sporting event and something happens late in the game that changes the line or changes uh you know from cover to to uh uh to under the spread the the term folks in Vegas are going to be upset about this or very happy about this is going to go by the wayside because it's not going to be just Vegas anymore that has to deal with that and by the way I'll tell you one other thing that it that it potentially does specifically for the NCAA um it, it it makes it even more important for the NCAA to figure out a way to begin to compensate the basketball players um, uh, and, and, and probably, you know, the football players also, because as gambling becomes more and more prevalent and as it spreads and as there is more and more legal gambling, there's going to be more incentive for, you know, for unscrupulous folks to try to impact the, the result of games. Um, and it's when you have players who are paid nothing as NCAA basketball and football players are, um, you know, the notion of, Hey, if I, buddy, if I give you a thousand bucks, 2000, 5,000 bucks, you know, will you help shave some points for me or something like that? Or, or, or you just give me some info on the team. Hey, is this guy really hurt? Is this guy really going to play? Give me some info that'll give me a leg up. Um, uh, you know, a thousand or a couple thousand bucks carries a lot more weight than it does uh, for a pro team. If you approach an NBA player and say, hey, I'll give you a thousand bucks to do something, they'll be like, a thousand bucks. I made that in the 30 seconds that I talked to you, you know, because <laughs> these guys make millions of dollars. So I, I think the NCAA really needs to figure out a way, um, A, to prevent you know, corruption from gambling from uh, coming into the sport. But but B, the, the way to do that is to disincentivize the players a little bit by actually providing them with some kind of compensation. And I hope this advances. I hope, you know, everything that's gone, if, <laughs> is it just me? Does it feel like everything that's happened in the past year or so has continued to push us toward compensating the players? I mean, the Adidas scandal, um, uh, the, the commission, uh, um, which which, you know, sort of punted on that issue, but so many people criticized them for not advocating it. And now we have gambling coming into the sport. Um, everything is pushing us toward finding some way to get more money in the pockets of these players to allow them to realize what they are worth in a true, honest kind of fashion. Because as we said, uh, uh, it was almost a year ago on this podcast when the Adidas scandal first broke out, when there is no real economy and underground economy will fill in the blank. And um, we need to stop that underground economy from being the only way these guys can get money. So that's going to do it for us here on the DBR podcast. Sam and Donald sitting next to each other, nice and cuddly. Did you guys, were you guys touching the whole time? Not quite, but, uh, but, but, but we're enjoying each other's company. I have a couch. I don't have a love seat. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam and Donald sitting next to each other in Washington, D.C. Thanks so much for joining me. I am Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia. That's it for episode 119 of the DBR podcast. Folks, we remind you, if you are out there, if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, wherever it may be, please give us a five-star rating. And if you don't love the podcast, send us an email. Write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com dbrpodcast at gmail.com send us your questions we'll answer them here on the podcast send us any concerns you may have and we will happily address them and if you want to be a sponsor like the fine guys of bird campbell who sponsors every week 
feel free to reach out to us about that as well. We can always use more sponsors. We will happily get your message out there to the many, many Duke fans who are listening to us. For Sam and Donald, I am Jason. This is episode 119. We'll be back probably after the NBA draft or after the NBA playoffs sometime in there. Um, Until then, Duke Band, it's your turn. Take us home. Take us home.